0: I was um, praying really early in the week. The Lord um, was very, very faithful uh, to give me a word from directly from Him to you today. Words that kept coming through my mind, and God gave me a specific scripture. But the words God gave me were legacy, which uh, other synonyms for the word are gift, given. An endowment, a birthright, an heirloom, and an estate. So I want your heart to begin to think about those words. Legacy. Heirloom. Estate. Inheritance. And if you would turn to, um, seconds, uh, hold on, I'm sorry. First Chronicles chapter 29. First Chronicles chapter 29. And we're going to read verses 1 through 5. And listen really carefully. I'm, I may not be as excitable this morning as I normally am. I get out of breath and, you know, pacing up and down. And, and I'm going to try to speak very clearly because I believe a lot of things. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, go ahead, real quick. Uh, real quick. Uh, Gwen could not be here today on Children's Church. So if you have a child, we're going to keep them in service today, but there's crayons, there's a lot of activity sheets over by Brittany. She will help them out. You can send your kids over. Uh, But she has had some stuff she needed to do this morning, so thank you. Thank you, Eddie. Let me appreciate Eddie. (laughs) Praise the Lord. But I want want to speak really carefully and really slowly this morning because I really believe uh, in the message I want to do the very best that I can to give you an idea of what direction, you know, I feel like God's leading uh, me to go with this church. If, um, if, if, if God desires that I lead this church, I want to make sure everybody uh, openly understands where I feel God is leading the church. So I want to be careful to really lay that vision out there. And then I, after the service, um, or at the end of the service where I normally would have an altar call, I may still have an altar call. But I'm going to open it up for any questions. So if you have any questions maybe you haven't asked yet, um, I want to open that up a little bit for you to be able to do that. You still have an hour uh, over chicken and fried bologna. And, praise the Lord, where you at, James? He's at frying my bologna. He did that especially for me, fried bologna and pepper jack cheese. So it's a good man. The house of God should smell like German bologna and uh, pepper jack cheese. I firmly believe that there were there were you know the old uh, temple of the Lord which I'll talk about today you know they had all kinds of smells of animals and you know the house of the Lord German bologna and pepper jack cheese I like that <laughs> but just listen carefully and 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 when the Lord gives you a word um, I'm not taking credit for saying things that I want to say I'm trying to hear. What God has for this church, and this is what God gave me specifically. Let's look at it together. This is from the NIV. It says, Then King David said to the whole assembly... So David is toward the end of his life here, and he just gathers together the elders of Israel and all the people, and uh, he's about to leave this world. I mean, he's an older man, and he's toward the end of his life, and so he pulls them all together to tell them something very important. He says, My son, Solomon... One whom God has chosen is young and inexperienced. Now Solomon, I'll stop right there. Solomon, uh, the estimates are he's somewhere between 12 and 20 years old. Okay, so David David at this time, remember David was a poor shepherd. Uh, By the time he gets to the end of his life here, uh, they estimate that he was one of the richest men that ever lived in the entire world. I mean, in the history of the world, uh, some of the estimates say that he may have had half of the gold in the world at that time. I mean, he went from a poor shepherd boy and God abundantly blessed him, and uh, he had a treasury and was wealthy, and and uh, so here um, in this nation, uh, this is a period of time where David literally subdued every enemy, the north, the south, the east, and the west, David was such a warrior That he subdued every enemy. So he was handing this over to this young kid who was 12 to 20 years old. And so God had called Solomon for this moment to do this. But David was telling him he's young and inexperienced. And he said, The task is great. I want you to remember that phrase the task is great. Then he said, Because this palatial structure is not for man, but for the Lord God. That's why it was a great task, because it wasn't for man. David already had a place that he considered his palace, but God was putting it in David's heart to make a place that would bear God's presence and God's um, name would be put on. The Ark of the Covenant would be there. He was putting something major uh, into the hands of, Solomon here. He says, with all of my resources, David said, I have provided for the temple of God. Do you hear that? David would give a large part of his treasury. In fact, the estimates are somewhere between, in modern day cash, 88 million to 2.5 billion. When you figure out all the gold that he gave, he gave like, um, it ended up being um David gave 110 tons just of gold. 110 tons. In fact, they guesstimate right now the largest reserve of gold is in Kentucky and Fort Knox. And they guesstimate that David had a little bit more gold than Fort Knox. That's the largest reserve in the world right now. So just see what David's doing here. All my resources are going to this one thing. He's giving his whole estate basically... To build whatever he's, he's telling the people here. Very important to David. This, this moment is very, very important. In fact, it's, David considers this the biggest thing in his life. You know, he's done everything. He's subdued enemies. He's killed Goliath. He's, you know, he's done everything, but this is the thing that God put on his heart that was special to David. Um, David was trying to leave a legacy. Okay. And the legacy was, I love God with all of my heart. You go from the tabernacle of David, uh, it was called the tent of David, where David would just seek the face of God. Remember, he was a psalmist by, his heart was a psalmist. He became a king, became all these things, but he really was the young man that loved to be in the presence of God. He just loved to seek the face of God. When he was ran out of Jerusalem, he just, he just was almost in a deep depression, and he was just, he was just, All he would talk about was not missing the palace or the wealth or anything. All he would say was, if I could only be like a spider in the house of God and a little web in the corner. If I could only be like a bird in the nest of the house of God. And David was trying to leave a a legacy of who he was and what he was. And the legacy was a house that has God's presence in it. And I want everybody, I want my son to enjoy it, I want the nation to enjoy it. And he was giving them a legacy so anyway, he went on. He said, "This The task is great because the palatial structure is not for man but the Lord God. With all my resources I have provided for the temple of my God. Gold for the gold work. I provided silver for the silver. Bronze for the bronze work. Iron for the iron work. And wood for the wood. As well as onyx for the settings, turquoise, stones, various colors, and all kinds of fine stone and marble all of these in large quantities, because in my devotion to the temple, listen to this, because in my devotion, this is why he's done it, in my devotion to the temple of my God. And he goes on, and he says, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God. Did you see, he said it again, my God, he wants something built and it. This is the most in fact, I I don't think you can argue this is the most extravagant gift probably that's ever been given in the history of the world. This is like Bill Gates or Warren Buffett, and you put their treasures together and they give it all to build a place for God. You realize how beautiful this temple was? You don't realize all the gold that was in it. They said gold was so common in Jerusalem at that time of David they were like pebbles. They were like stones in a field. And David is like the, um, remember the woman that gave the alabaster box and broke it? David had that kind of heart. I mean, they're like, well, why would you do that? Why would you irrevocably give all that to build this house? And why would you make it with all that gold and all that silver and all that bronze? But David was like, for my God. At the end of his life, for my God, I give all my resources And he goes on and he says, Now I give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God, over and above everything I provided for His holy temple. 3,000 talents, which if you look at any equivalent, some of you will have it in the margin, it will say 110 tons of gold. Or 100 metric tons. And it's gold of Ophir, which is considered the purest gold in that time. This is the best, okay? The best gold, the purest gold, And a hundred (laughs) and ten tons. Okay. Think about that. (laughs) And it says, and seven thousand talents, which is about two hundred and sixty tons of silver. Amazing. Of refined silver for the overlaying of the walls of the building. Now let this sink in. We're building walls of a building, and they're overlaid with silver. (laughs) Okay. I don't think I think we gloss over this sometimes and don't realize what David is doing here. He's extravagantly building something for his God because it was his heart his whole life. That's why God loved him so much. The wall, uh, overlaying of silver for the walls of the buildings, for the gold work and the silver work, for all the work that is to be done by the craftsmen. Now he stops. What more could this this man give? He's given everything as their leader, right? He says, now, who is willing to consecrate themselves for the Lord today? Wow. I'm giving everything as your leader, is what he's saying. Now, who today is ready to follow me in consecrating themselves for the Lord? Now, what would happen here is David would die almost instantly after this. But Israel would go into a period of time. In fact, the nations around Israel, God put them there as an example because the nations of Israel had never seen peace and prosperity in a nation. But do you know the entire life of Solomon they were at peace? David left a legacy, defeated all the enemies that were around, And as David passed away, he left a legacy of peace and prosperity. It's the closest thing, commentators will tell you, to what the millennial reign is going to be like. You know, in the future, there will be a thousand-year reign of Christ. And they say, this is the only time on earth that was anywhere close to what that's going to be like. It's just really an unrivaled time of peace. And then you begin to look at the riches... Minus most of David's fortune went to the temple, Solomon prospered like no person on earth has ever prospered. But it was because of the legacy that David left for him. So the first thing we notice about this is number one, I want you to look at the phrase that says, the task is great. Now, when you begin to look at this, God began to stir my heart. You can't take every single thing and try to find a uh, an example of what it's speaking to us. But there's some things here that are really clear that we want to see. And number one is, the task is great for what God is calling us to do. God is calling us to build a church, get this church, that the gates of hell will not prevail. So is there a greater task in your life right now than that? Is there a greater task than building a church that the gates of hell will not prevail? It is a great task to build a church. And you say, well, there's churches that are everywhere. Do you know how they were, they were, how they determined that the nation of Israel had finally been destroyed? Because they had a place where the presence of God was so real that people would come from around the world because sense the presence of God. Everybody across the nation would walk into that temple and there was a presence of God in that place that was tangible. It was David's legacy to leave a place where the Spirit of God was present. And God said, my name is in that one place. Nowhere else on the earth is my presence and my power and my name, but it's there at that place. But then there came a day when they, when they eventually became wicked. They turned their back on God. They went away from God. There weren't people like David and Josiah and Asa and some of the people that led them into righteousness. And there became a day that they backslid. And you know what happened to the house of God? Eventually his presence was gone. And you say, well, wow, there's a church on every corner. There's people that are going to church on Sunday every week, but how many of those places have the real, tangible presence of God in that place? How many when you walk in, you feel the presence of God? How many when you walk in, you see people that are hungry for the presence of God that have the same heart of David and said, this place, I give all my resources because I want a place in this world where the presence of God is real. And the task that we have is great because when you build a house of God, when you build a church, and I'm not talking about a building, when you build a church and the people come together, the people all around this area are hoping to see the presence of God. They're walking in and they've got addictions that they do not have any power to overcome. And they're looking for a place and a people that have the presence of God. So the task that we have taken upon ourselves is great. You know how big this is? You know how much the enemy wants to destroy a church that seeks the presence of God? Satan does not want that type of church to exist. And as you go around, and the nation of Israel finally was destroyed, what was the last thing that was destroyed? They ransacked this house that David built. And so when the enemy is successful in this city, in Evansville, wherever it is that you attend church, when the enemy is successful, the last thing that happens is that place is destroyed and it no longer exists in the earth. You walk into places and you don't feel the presence of God. You feel people going through the motions. You don't sense the presence. People aren't about the presence of God. They're about programs. They're about buildings. They're about fun. They're about all everything else except hearing and being in the presence of God. So David, his legacy that he was trying to leave was a place that he pours everything that is him in this place and he wanted generations to experience the same presence that overshadowed him, that allowed him to go against every enemy and defeat him. So this is where God is calling us as a church and you say, man, we're special. We are special, but God is calling every church to be this. This is where God's calling us. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 24 verse 18. 2 Samuel 24, 18. Now David, right before the end of his life, David didn't come up with the idea to build this. How many know that? David just didn't say, I want to build a house for God, and and I want to do that before I die, and I want it to be a legacy to my children. God actually uh, called David out. And in, in 2 Samuel 24, 18, it says, On that day, a specific day, Gad, who was a prophet, he went to David and said to him, Go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana. Now, where is this threshing floor of Arana? How many have ever seen pictures on the news of people praying at the Western Wall in Jerusalem? That is the place. David laid a cornerstone on the western wall, and it was this man's property. Okay, it was this place. He said, go and build an altar on the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite. So David went up as the Lord commanded him through Gad. So who told David to do this? The prophet of God, Gad, but it was the Lord's desire to do this, right? And he says, when Arana looked and saw the king and his officials coming toward him, he went in and bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. Arana said, why has my lord the king come to his servant? And he said, to buy your threshing floor. God was sending him to buy. Do you know what a threshing floor is? That's basically where they separate the wheat and the chaff and they thresh the grain. And, and uh, so it's just like a piece of farmland, okay? And so he's going to this guy specifically from God to buy this. And it says, Arana said to David, let my Lord the king take whatever he wishes and offer it up. Now this is pretty good. They're going to build something for the Lord and they're going to get it for free. He's like, man, it'd be awesome if we could just build what we want right now and somebody just give us that money. Right? And he's going to get it for free here. But I want you to see the heart of David. David said, Arana said to David, Let my lord the king take whatever he wishes and offer it up. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering. Here are the threshing sledges and the ox yokes for the wood. Your majesty Arana gives all this to the king. Arana said to him, May the Lord God accept you. But the king replied to Arana, No, I insist on paying you for it, I will not sacrifice, listen, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my burnt offerings that cost me nothing. You see the heart of David? David is saying, I'm not only going to build a house for God, but it's going to cost me a sacrifice. You know, I'm going to pay the very best to build this for my God because I'm so devoted to my God. I don't want anybody to give it to me. I want to lay it down on an altar and I want it to be a... Do um, you know that God has every resource? God doesn't have to have us do anything. God has every abundance of everything. He has all the money, He has all the cattle, He has all the... Anything in this world that would be considered riches. God has it. And you say, well, why is... uh my gift of my time, my talent, my service. Why does He uh, ask that of me? Because it's a symbol of your love. There's no other reason. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your time. He doesn't need all of those things to do what He wants to do. But He allows you to abundantly show your love for Him. So God David understands this. David says, if you give it to me, then I can't do it myself, but I want to honor my God. So he goes on. So David purchases this land, and it's the cornerstone of the temple that he's going to build later. And he goes on, and he says, so David bought the threshing floor and the oxen and paid 50 shekels of silver. David built an altar to the Lord and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then the Lord answered his prayer, listen to this. He answered David's prayer on behalf of the land and the plague on Israel stopped. Now David, the story that precedes this in context is David had disobeyed the Lord and he um, counted his army. He wanted to know how many, he kind of was almost like a draft. He wanted to know how many people he had, how many fighting men they had, and God was like, don't do that, trust me. You don't need to count them in. So David disobeyed God, and a plague came on the land because of David. Now David was always a shepherd. So David stopped, and he said, wait a minute, God, there but sheep, put the blame on me. And God said, okay, go buy this piece of land, and when you begin to burn sacrifice, under the plague will stop. God is speaking to this church. You say, why should we build a church if the gates will not prevail? Because there's a plague on this land. There's a plague on this land. God's raising up an army that the gates of hell will not prevail. And God is calling us to be a church where His presence is. God's calling us to make sacrifices in His presence. God's raising us up because He wants to lift a plague off of this land. You say, what's the plague? It's meth addiction. What's the plague? It's heroin addiction. What's the plague? It's sexually immoral things happening all over this city. Little innocent kids are being damaged. You understand? God is calling us. He wants to lift the plague off this land. How many does He want to save? Every one of them. And God's calling His church to be built. God's calling His people to get along and move along. God's calling his church to be extravagant in their sacrifice. God's calling us to come together. David pulled all these people together to say, get ready. God's getting ready to build something here. The second thing, the task is great. I don't know. What, okay, the second thing. He said, it is not for man, but it is for God. Think about that. There's a couple ways to really interpret that. How many, how many know sometimes when you're trying to do great things for God and you're trying to unite, if, if God could ever unite His church anywhere, if He could unite 120 people only, He could turn the world upside down. He could change an entire nation with 120 people and turn the world upside down. If he could ever unite his people, but here's the problem. Some people will stand back and they'll say, I'm not doing anything for that man. I'm not doing anything for that leader and vice versa. There are leaders that will say, this is my empire. This is what I have built with my hands. This is what I have done. And they, and, and, and God, Is the one that is doing this. Do you realize that everything that David was doing had nothing to do with his glory? He was gonna die. He was never gonna walk in that temple. He was never gonna experience the power of that temple. He was never gonna walk in and see the beauty of that temple. But he did it because it was for and in honor of his God. So David was motivated completely by his God. And you know, if we're ever gonna do anything for God, if we're ever gonna reach the hurting together, if we're ever gonna reach the lost, if we're ever gonna reach your loved ones, if we're ever gonna do anything, it's gotta be devotion to God and God only. We've gotta follow God. We've gotta sacrifice out of love what we have and give it to God. Our time, our talents. God wants us. But David was very devoted. It's not man's glory, it's his glory. It's God's desire first, and then it's David's desire second. What did Jesus say? I'm not here to do my will. I'm here to do the will of the one that sent me. Why do we get in the presence of God? Because when we get in the presence of God, we meet a God who has more love than we will ever have. We have a God that has a heart that is bigger than anybody in this room will ever have. God has desires that will blow your mind. God has resources that He wants to connect with those desires that He puts in your heart. David was a man that heard from God. David was a man that knew God's desires... And what God wants us to do is begin to dream His dreams. He said, your young men and your young women are going to see visions. He didn't say your pastor will see visions. He will too. But your young men and your young women. How many want your daughters and your sons to see visions? How many want the old to dream dreams? And God says, I will pour my spirit upon you and my desires will become your desires. So it was God's desire first and David's second. God is the one accomplishing it. We're not, but Him through us. How many times you walk in church and people are all puffed up for everything they've done for God? And you know it's not us. It's God working through us if we're doing it right. It's God pouring His Spirit upon all flesh and accomplishing His heart for the church. And God, I mean, when, when God came into this place, when this thing was built, you know, they couldn't even stand up. The power of God was so powerful. When all of it came together, the devotion, in fact, they ended up giving more than David. Do you know that? The people ended up barely, because David had a lot of money, but they, barely, they gave more than David gave. The unity that they had in building this thing. David was long gone, but they were all united and the presence of God was so real that they couldn't even stand up in the place. The last thing, well hold on, let me see. God worked through them, which means it can't be stopped. You know when we're united and we're working together and it's all for God's glory and He's working through it and it's not us? you know that it's impossible to stop? you know that the enemy knows we're impossible to stop when we're together? When we're unified and God is dreaming through us, do you know we're impossible to stop? You say, what does that mean? That don't mean anything. What it means is we're impossible to stop when the drug addict needs deliverance. We're impossible to stop. When the meth addict has no hope, we're impossible to stop. When the person is suffering depression and, and, and in the last days of their life, we the church are impossible to stop. You understand the things that you're struggling with. When God's Spirit comes upon you, we're impossible to stop. Because it's God working through us. Who can stop God? If God before us, who can be against us? And all of God's resources are available. The last thing David said, and I kind of touched on this, but David said, with all of my resources, and I want you to just begin to think about that. All of our resources, do you know what happens when God is able to harness all of our resources? How many have ever heard the story, it's on some of the, uh, I don't know if you ever bought bor- borax soap. But on borax soap, they have a story of how they used to get borax soap, and it was called the 20-mule tw- borax. Um, they have a place in Death Valley, and it was a very famous uh, trail. They would go 323 miles round trip. And what they would do is they would take 18 uh, mules, and two giant horses. The horses were much bigger than the mules. And how many have ever seen a big draft horse? Like a giant, powerful draft horse. And, and I know where I live right now, when I, when I went to go look at my property to buy it, they had Belgian draft horses, which are giant, muscular animals that were made to pull things. My neighbor, uh, they would do the carriage rides and they had Clydesdales. Big, powerful, uh, animals. Then my other neighbor had bison. So all three of those places in the property there were Clydesdales, Belgian draft horses, and bison, which are also great pulling animals. And uh, what they would do is they would take these 18 mules, because mule could actually survive going a great distance. The horses wouldn't go very far. They could pull a lot, but they couldn't last very long in the desert. So they only had two of those to eat. Get it started going, and then they would kind of rest a little bit. But they would actually pull. In fact, it says they would pull together. These trailers they put in, they had seven-foot wheels on them. And it was a deep, and they would carry 30 tons, sometimes up to 40 tons. Can you imagine that? But here's the thing that I find interesting. Eight mules could pull 10 tons. Twelve could pull twice that. How is that possible? It's the power of unity. It's the power of pulling together. It's the power of solutions that come from God and are empowered by His Spirit. God wants you to know that we can do greater things together. You say, man, I don't know if people can get along like that. God's given examples in the Bible where they were in unity and they were in one place and they were pulling together, but eight could pull ten times Ten or twelve could pull twice that. Twenty could pull forty tons. And they found out not only could they pull forty tons, but they could build giant uh, wagons with seven-foot wheels. Each one of the wagon wheels weighed a thousand pounds. And then they'd also carry twelve hundred gallons of water. And they pull all that. They never lost a single animal and they never lost a single man and they went all through death valley 323 miles in 10 days and they did it repeatedly as soon as one would leave another one would come in they had 20 different groups of 20 mules or 18 mules and two horses and what 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 is god saying god is saying in fact they ended up carrying like over 20 i can't remember how it was like 20 million tons went over that six-year period when they ran those mules back and forth over Death Valley. And what I'm saying is, when the church is harnessed together, when the church is pulling together, when the church is hearing from God, when the Spirit of God is upon us, they're going over the... They didn't have highways. They had rough terrain in Death Valley. This is 1800s. Okay, there were no highways. They were going through rough terrain. There's nothing this church cannot accomplish if we harness together. If we harness together and say, God, we want to see your will done on this earth. God can do great things. God can do amazing things. More than you can do alone. More than I can do alone. But we have to learn how to get along. We got to learn how to move together in everything that we do. And you know what? We can do that. So where does this put us today? Number one, you guys have a legacy. Let me give you a definition of legacy. This actually was supposed to be in the very beginning here. Something that has happened in the past or that comes from someone in the past. That's what legacy means. Let me give you another definition. Something transmitted by or received from an ancestor or predecessor from the past. Think about it. Number one, the first definition Comes from the past from someone in the past. The second one, transmitted and received by a predecessor from the past. Do you see how David was that predecessor? He was the one from the past that was was almost like the spirit of David came upon this nation and that spirit of David consumed this nation for a period of time and God did amazing things for the whole lifetime of the next generation. He left something for them. Though he was not there, he still spoke. Let me tell you the first person who left us a legacy. And if Pastor Rod were here right now, he would tell me, start with this. Jesus Christ is that predecessor. He left us an inheritance. He left us a legacy. He left us a path that He wants us to go. He poured out His life so that we could do great things. He laid down His life to give us an inheritance. And you say, well, is that inheritance real? That inheritance is real. Do you know that you're going to become one of the wealthiest? You'll be wealthier than any person that lived on this earth because of His inheritance. A real, literal inheritance. You say, man, I'm really down. This life's terrible. Do you not know what I just said? This life is a little while longer and you're going to be the wealthiest person that ever walked in this earth going to look like an impoverished person compared to you. Jesus Christ left a real inheritance. He also left a spiritual inheritance. Do you know that he loved like nobody else had ever loved on this earth? He loved like nobody else ever loved on this earth, and Pastor Rod would stand here today with me, arm in arm, and he would say, "Everything I ever done in my life is because of that predecessor that left this love in my heart. Every person I ever loved, every word that I ever spoke." And he says, "Listen to what my brother is preaching today. Jesus Christ left me an inheritance, and everything I ever did was because Jesus Christ was the one I was following. And you know what what uh, Eddie said today." And he said that the, the enemy loved to sift this church. And see, here's the problem with the enemy. The enemy thought, uh, when a man of God was no longer in this place, the enemy thought, now they're going to fall down. Now the house of God is going to fall, it's going to be in ruins, and I'm never going to have to hear the name Wellspring ever again. But here's what happened. When the enemy thinks he's won, God raises up a hundred other people, just like Pastor Rod. We'll never replace him, but listen to me. We will never replace what that man did for this place, what he means to you, what he means to me. Please remember, Pastor Rod, when he first moved to Evansville, I moved him into his house. I'm one of his oldest friends by virtue of the fact that I was there when I moved him in. Okay, Pastor Rod is a loving and a dearing friend of mine. Love him dearly. But the enemy will not win. The enemy thinks that when the man of God is gone, that nobody else will ever walk back in and this place will just fall down. But this is wrong. God is raising us up with the same Spirit of Christ that Pastor Rod walked in. We're going to step up and walk in it. There's going to be hundreds of people that are going to come from that sacrifice that He put into this place. And I want to tell you the legacy... You were not only given a legacy by Christ, but you were given a legacy by your pastor. Number one, I'm trying, I tried to think, what is the legacy? The one thing that I could capture the spirit that, that, that Pastor Rod had in this place when he pastored through the power of Christ. And the one thing that comes to my mind first, and that I think if he were here, he would tell me, Chad, that's the one thing I want them to know, you know. In fact, it's it's pretty cool. I was reading Hebrews, it said, uh, you know, the faith chapter in Hebrews chapter 11. The only thing it says about Jacob is he was sat there on his cane, it said, and blessed his children and then died. Do you understand that? I want to stand someday with a cane and I want to just go into the presence of the Lord and I want to say, Enjoy. Enjoy what God has given you as an inheritance. But Pastor Rod, the one thing that I believe was one, one legacy, and this is the first one, a legacy of worship. One thing that I know over the years, and I've spent a lot of time with Pastor Rod. I was his first staff member when he came into Evansville. We spent a lot of time together. And one thing that we loved to do, and one thing that my youth group did for the three and a half years Uh, When he first came to Evansville, we would sit in the presence of God for hours. I would take my youth group, and some of you are in here, remember this. We would sit for three and four and five hours in the presence of God. I mean, we would say, I would make them listen to the clock tick, and I said, You guys are going to learn to get in the presence of God. You're going to learn to hear the voice of God, and those kids begin to prophesy. Those kids begin to speak the words of God. Those kids begin to mature in the presence of God. And Pastor Rod and I used to love to soak in the presence of God. So the first thing that I believe, and it's the top of my list here in a second, but the first thing I want to see in this church is I'm so glad it's called Wellspring Community Worship Center. I want to see God raise up places in this church where we can actually seek the presence of God. Number one. That's, that's my number one goal. Um, if I were to pastor this church, and, and you say, Well, I don't like that goal. You know, I want something better than that. My desire, I want to see I want to see a real altar area here. I want to see people during our service that are lost in the presence of God. I want to see people lost in the presence of God. We're just touching the service, church. If Pastor Rod were here with me, you know what he would say? I've wanted for so long to build places like that. That's what I want, man. I want to get in the presence of God. I want to dwell in the presence of God. I want Him to hear His voice. I want Him to get in His presence. I want to see an altar area where people can't wait to get in the house of God and seek God. No time limits on us. I want to see a prayer room. I want to see a prayer room. I want to see people seeking the presence of God you know what it's like to have a prayer room you know what it's like to have a place that is totally committed to the presence of God in prayer you know how much the you know how much I want to pass on to my children a legacy of worship and prayer you know how much I want my kids to know what it means to be in the presence of God and soak in his presence church we don't have places like that here, right here. Do we? Am I lying? We don't have places where we can soak in God's presence. And I want to see God raise that up in this church because I believe it's a legacy that your pastor left you. The second thing that I believe, a legacy of love. Now let me, let me stress this because he would want me to say this. And, I, and I'm sorry I'm bringing up Pastor Rod so much, but I love him dearly and I want you to know my heart. Okay? He would want me to tell you his love was first to God, then to people. He would want me to tell you that. First to God, then to people. And you know, his love for people was extravagant, but it was that way because of his love for God. How many know that? And what God wants us to do, he was a a direct imitation of, of the love that Christ left us as a legacy. God would want us to get in His presence and God wants us to be filled with the same Spirit that loves people no matter who they are, no matter what race, no matter what their background, not just the poor but also the rich. God would want us to continue a legacy of love. Another legacy that this church has is just being kind and hospitable. How many know that? How many have walked into a church and you felt no kindness? And you felt nobody being hospitable at all? And what we want to do in this church, my vision for this church is to increase that hospitability, that that kindness. We want areas that... You know, people have to want to be here. People have to want to feel comfortable. They want to feel loved. And you know what? We've done that in a lot of areas, but I believe that God's going to raise up this entire building to be in his, to, to be hospitable. I want children's areas where they really want to be in there. Where they're so excited in that room because that is their children's area. I want youth rooms where they're excited to be in that room because they just can't wait to get in. They want to be in there. They love to be in there. How many love to be in the front foyer? How many many think it's great when you come to church and just can come and relax and fellowship? And God wants to do that in the whole building. We're getting restless, so I'm going to move. What time is it? 5 to 12, okay, I'm good. Here's a big one. Legacy of unity. How many know important it is to get along with each other? I believe very strongly... The pastor Rod wanted unity, and that means also discipline. How many know that? Now when do you, why, when and why do you do discipline? You don't do discipline because you're mad at somebody. You do discipline. In fact, I put a few notes here. Discipline is to bring glory to God, to love and restore people with meekness. Anytime you ever discipline, it's because you love people and you want to see them do well. You don't discipline somebody because you're mad at them. You'll discipline somebody because you want them out of your church. You discipline them because you want the church to have peace. And you want everybody to learn to get along. There's some areas. Difficulties between members. We need to make sure we get along, right? That's something that we have to step in and say, if you can't get along, let's help you. Let's restore you. Let's love you. Uh, we're family. We're not a business, are we? Divisive or factious people causing divisions in the church. How many know I have to lovingly, with my elders, step in and help with divisions? And that's something God uses to keep us unified. Um, false teachers. Um, I'm not going with that, but but something that God would call us to do as an eldership is to make sure there's unity in the church and that we're getting along with each other. Um I'm trying to move along faster. I've actually got a lot here on the vision. Um, But let's just say this. One of my desires when we come in, the first thing we have to deal with as a church, everybody already be covering a little bit of this. One thing we really have to cover is we don't have a lease, okay? So the person that is here is kind of, we never know if he's, we definitely have a lease, we definitely don't. So the first thing we're going to do in here is we're going to try to make sure that we have a lease to be here, okay? So we're going to be working that kind of thing out. But anyway, um, a lot of people were talking about building a new church. So there's two areas I think that God is leading us to do. I think it's very important to not just be here. I think it's important to thrive here. So the board and I have been talking together, and from every part of this church, my number one priority is heating and air conditioning. How many would agree with that? So these are business kind of things. So if we do nothing else, I believe if we have heating and air conditioning, we're going to thrive here, okay? But God wants us to do so much more. I don't know what we'll be able to do and what we don't, but I would like to come in here. My number one priority besides heating and air is the children's ministry. I really want to make sure that children's ministry has a room that they're really excited about. It's not cluttered up. They really want to be there and we have security and stability with our children. I've noticed on Sunday mornings uh, a lot of mothers and fathers are struggling sometimes when they have kids in here. So I really want to, how many want to see our children's ministry just take off? How many want to see there to be security? How many want to see there be a situation where um, we're so excited about our children's ministry that it just explodes? And so, one of my number one priorities is the children's ministry, and along with that is the youth ministry. I want to do everything I can to give uh, Eddie all the tools to build his youth group, and, and I want to see that youth group just take off. And one other thing that God is doing, and I'm rushing in here. I hate this. I hate that I'm rushing this because I know we got to eat. Um, but I also believe that God is leading us to build a building, and I'm just—I want to talk about that a little bit. Um, I believe that God is going to lead us to start a building fund immediately. And uh, I believe that God has called us to build a building. Um, pastor Rod had drawings for a building. Uh, he even had drawings for a fountain in this building. And I believe it's very important. I would like to honor our pastor and I would like to build a fountain uh, just to honor uh, the man that pioneered this church. And, and I, I just want to have fond memories uh, when I walk by that fountain. But I do believe that God is going to lead us to start a building fund. I just don't feel like it's a, a good time right now to build. I think it's a good time to take out a small loan, fix up our building, and I've got very detailed plans that the board has went over and things I would like to do. We may not be able to, so don't take me up. You know that this and this and this is going to happen, but that's what we're going to try to do. We're going to fix up every part of this building in a way that we're going to be able to thrive here. And I think it's important to have momentum to go into a new building. So we'll start a building fund in three to five years I believe that God is going to allow us to build a, a building in this city and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Alright? And um, so aside from that, I'm not going into a lot of more details, but uh anybody have any questions you'd like to ask me before we go eat? Anything specific? I know I didn't cover it really well, but I'm sorry. Anybody? Everybody has chicken on their mind? Anybody have any questions? Just, just know we'll have an hour, uh, before the vote. So if anybody has any questions or anything you'd like to ask me, I'm very, very open, you know, as far as answering questions and everything like that. But I can tell when people have chicken on their mind, I can't say anymore. So, (laughs) praise the Lord. All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord, and, uh, Lord, I just pray that we're sensitive to your voice, Lord God. Lord, you have, uh, planted, you planted Pastor Rod here, Lord. You called to his heart, Lord God, and you built a church here, Lord God. Father, they've weathered every storm, Lord God. They've risen to the occasion, Lord God. Father, you've raised up mature leaders that have no fear whatsoever of the enemy, Lord God. Father, you've done all those things for a reason, Lord God. Father, I pray that you continue, Lord, to build a legacy. Father, in this town, Lord God, that you continue to build this church, Lord God, that you continue to speak to its leaders, Lord God. Father, I pray that you do great things for this assembly, Lord God. Father, that you raise up, Lord God, and pour your spirit upon them, Lord God. Father, put the enemy to chase, Lord God for this place, Lord God. Make it a place for your presence, a place for your power, Lord God, a legacy not only to us, Lord God, but also to their children, Lord God, their children's children, Lord. Father, a true well, Lord God, where your life springs forth, Lord God. Bless this church, Lord, in your name we pray. Everybody said, Amen.